you can't tell, we've been attacked by COVID. So many of our families have been affected and we care about the safety of everybody. So uh, we decided today to just be virtual and we're glad you're logging on with us. Uh, we're glad that with technology, we don't have to stop having church and being together. Um, we can just use technology to our benefit. So uh, with that being said, if you guys want to uh, this morning while we're meeting, uh, maybe right now or as we go on, if you guys could give some comments and uh, things online, positive praise reports uh, about some good things that are going on despite all the bad news all around us. And uh, share that good news and share how the Lord has blessed you this week and uh, things that are coming up and things that we get to look forward to. Um, so uh, what I'm going to do this morning is kind of just hang out with you the way you would hang out at the house, sitting on the desk. We're going to do more of a Bible study fashion for the remaining part of Ephesians chapter 2 where we left off last week. Um, and what I'm going to do now is just read that and then pray for us and jump into this book and see what God's got planned. So, you got your Bibles and you're at the house, you should. If not, you're on a computer, so you should be able to tap into it pretty easy. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We did verses 1 through 10 last week. So we got that good beginning going. Uh, Paul has been hitting it hard on some of the theological things in this book for this new church. And uh, today he kind of begins to transition and change uh, the topic of what he's talking about, um, but not who he's talking about. So uh, you guys are with me. Let's jump down to verse 11. I'm going to read the remainder of chapter 2, and then we'll go back and look at this thing verse by verse. So if you've got your Bibles, read along with me. If not, just listen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done by the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners in the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made no effect on the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of the peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, which Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in him the whole building being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling, in the spirit. I want to jump down, even though we won't get into a lot of chapter 3 today, but also want to read in chapter 3, verse 10. It says something very powerful as Paul is still in this writing to his, his Gentile church, the Ephesians and Ephesus. And it says, This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be known through the church, through the rulers and authorities in the heavens. And I just want to point out, I don't think this is coincidence or accident that this is the section of the book that we're in and this is what Paul is writing about. Uh, we live in a world that is very divided. 
We don't have unity as much as we used to. And we look for any reason to divide us. Things as funny as what sports team you like and what's your favorite color to more serious things like political views and race and ethnicity and uh, what kind of TV shows you like, what kind of education you have, what kind of financing and money you make. Um, and what Paul is writing is he's saying, you guys are going to be unified in Christ. The church is one unified body. And that is the greatest evangelical witness to the world that is watching, is that the world can look and see so many different people, so many things that would separate us and divide us and make us not one. And yet when the world looks at us, they have to wonder what makes those guys love each other the way they do. And we can proudly proclaim it is because we are unified through Christ Jesus. You guys pray with me. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this morning, Lord God. God, we thank you for the writing that you've given Paul. We thank you for the inspiration, Lord, of this section of the letter to this church, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that it be something that's not just meant for them back then, Lord God, but something for us today. Lord, take this morning and our time when we get to dive into your word, where we get to be together while we're separate. And uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit unifies us, unifies us all, Lord God, together. I pray, Lord God, that your spirit, even though we are physically separate, has drawn us together this morning, Lord God, where we can be one body of believers. Lord God, that we can be your children, and we can look to you as our Father, Lord God, and seek your guidance in this word and what it is that you want us to get out of it. Lord, I pray that you accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish, and Lord, we just praise you and thank you for always being there for us and carrying us through hard times, such as the situation in the area we're in today, Lord God. God, I pray for healing over all those struggling right now. I pray, Lord God, for our, our members and our friends that are in the hospitals, Lord God, dealing with this virus. I pray for our workers, Lord God, that are dealing with it. And God, I pray for just a common folk, Lord God. Whether we want to be part of it or not, Lord God, we know that it is around us. And I just pray that you give us good discernment on how to handle and how to deal with everything, Lord. We just thank you that you are the head and we are the body, Lord God. God, we give you complete control now as that head, and we just want to surrender ownership to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump right in. Uh, if you are a note taker and want a title for today, since we don't have any slides, uh, I call this a new race, the church. Uh, because Paul repeatedly in the verses we just read, uh, and including what he says in chapter 3, uh, tells us that there is no longer going to be separation, but we're going to be one. We're going to be one new race. So it's uh, the church that is going to be that race. And as Paul has jotted into this letter, he spent the last chapter and a half talking about the gospel, uh, what it means to us, some of the theological views and stuff. And now he turns his attention to the body, uh, to the people, that the gospel creates, which is the church, which is you and I. Um, so uh, you should be really excited and happy that Paul has taken this part of the letter to, to zone in and talk directly to you. Um, I think it's very relevant for today. Uh, looking at some studies and some things this week, uh, I ran across at least two things I want to share with you. And one is this, uh, the sociologists who study spirituality in America uh, say that there's some contradictory things going on uh, for Americans right now. And the first is this. Spiritual interest in America is at an all-time high, which means people are searching, people are looking, uh, people are religiously hungry. Um, but at the same time, that same study decided that they are rapidly moving away from established religion. Um, one of the questions asked in the, in the survey that, that broke my heart or at least drew my attention it says that 81% of Americans believe that you can be a very good Christian without attending church. 
Um, despite what our world is throwing at us, and despite some of the things and some of the changes we've had to go through, uh, Scripture is very clear. Do not give up, do not forsake the gathering of being with other believers. It is vital. Uh, it is important, and Paul is going to address that in these verses uh, with us today. Uh, the second thing uh, that seems very relevant for us today that is spot on um, is that Paul gives a prescription for racial and cultural unity in the church. Um, and I told you guys before at Brookhaven and anybody else who's watching online, uh, it is kind of sad to say that Sunday mornings churches uh, are probably the most divided areas in the world, uh, whether it be by um, theology or whether it be by race or whether it be from ethnic standing or anything else. Uh, we use so many mornings to, to kind of divide ourselves up when Paul is clearly writing and he's saying, guys, we are supposed to be unified uh, in the church and we are supposed to be one. And as Paul writes about this, of course, he's talking to a, a group of people that for so long the church had just been Jews. Um, then Jesus Christ comes along and uh, he starts preaching this whole whosoever will come to me program. And uh, next thing we know, we've got Gentiles and others coming into the church. Um, and of course, when you have outsiders coming into the church, you get the outsider dress style, you get the outsider music style, you get the outsider fashion um, the political viewpoints and, and everything else. And what you really have, because these people just aren't used to what's going on, is we, we got a mess. Um, you know, in the early church, with people trying to understand how to be together, how to be unified in Christ, and how to not let all those things that divided people for thousands of years continue to divide. Um, and here we are 2,000 years later, and I'd say we've got the same mess. Uh, we let anything divide us. We let anything separate us. Um, modern people today and in our culture. I think we love the concept of wanting a multicultural society, uh, but we also agree that proving it's quite difficult to actually abstain and, and get it. Um, so as we, we jump into this thing and we look at this new church, I want to confess to you guys, like I, I think sometimes I'm the same way. I love the concept of uh, multicultural everything. Like I, I picture heaven where it's just got everybody from every um, economic um, stance, every race, every nation, every tongue, every like and dislike, every everything that divides us so much, heaven's going to be full of. Um, we need to we need to learn while we're here uh, to get ready for that. And if I can just be real and honest with myself, uh, real and honest with you guys, if you look out across Facebook or other social media statuses that you guys use. We're all about racial reconciliation. We're all about uh, breaking those political lines. And we're all about all these other things. But in reality, that's where it stops is on social media. We really don't do anything about it. We, we champion things on Facebook, but we don't live them out in real life, I guess is the best way to, to say it. Um, and I think when I read the gospel and I read Paul's letters, especially this one to Ephesus, uh, he wants something done about it. He doesn't just want us talking about it. He doesn't want us posting about it. He doesn't want us agreeing with it. He wants us making an effort uh, to change these things. So um, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to jump into some of these verses I just read, uh, grab some lessons uh, that it's got for us, and uh, maybe at the end I think we'll answer two questions. One would be why we should be deeply committed to the local church, and two, uh, how that unity can be achieved within the church. Um, and Paul gives us that through Scripture uh, with some warnings on things that try to attack us and stop that that we need to be aware of. Uh, so, back to chapter 2, verse 11. 
Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles is a fancy word for non-Jews. Um, in case anybody didn't know and, and you weren't sure, it just means you weren't a Jew. So if you're not a Jew in the church today, you're a Gentile. Um, and I believe Ephesus was probably full of Gentile believers. Um, most of them in this church would have been uh, Gentiles and, and not Jews. So verse 12, uh, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Back-to-back uh, -back in parallel passages, it's going to talk about being separated from Christ, alienated from Israel. And that's because their original viewpoint is if you wanted to belong to God, you had to belong to Israel. Uh, if you wanted to know God, you had to become Jewish. Um, you can think back to our Old Testament and, and some of our studies that we've done over the last couple of years uh, with Rahab and, and Ruth and the changes they had to make to become God's people um, and to, to receive some of the, the blessings from being a member of God's people. So uh, here he goes in and he says, you say to these Ephesian Gentile Christians that you were once in this category. What's category? Verse 12, foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, but I brought you near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, God's work of reconciliation is not only between God and the individual. Uh, it, it begins there, but it's also between the groups of people that are at odds with one another. Um, God came to unify us, uh, such as Jews and Gentiles that, that Paul is writing about here. Uh, then he goes on and he says that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Uh, Gentiles and Jews were brought together into one body, the church, uh, where our unity in Jesus is far greater than our previous differences that separated us. And that's what Paul's getting at. Paul's saying all those differences that separated us for so long, uh, this one thing that unites us, the blood of Christ, the, the unity that, that he's allowed us to bring into this church, the unity through Christ, uh, it's far greater than any differences that we could ever have here on this earth. So this unity didn't just happen. It was hard. It was fought for. It was accomplished by Christ. Um, which means this, that if you go to John chapter 17 and you look when Jesus prays, um, and in that prayer for us in John chapter 17, he's saying that, that all his people would be one. Uh, it shows us that this is not just a prayer. Uh, it was a prayer that Jesus prayed knowing that his work on the cross was going to be what it took to accomplish this answer. Uh, and it was a prayer that he was willing to pray, knowing the agony that he was going to have to go through to get the answer. Um, and he did that for us. So literally, um, when I think about this wall, and I love this time period that, that Paul is writing in because his wall would still be there. Literally around the Jewish temple, there was a little wall that was 10 feet high, made of really thick stone, and it had a sign on it uh, that history tells us would have read, any Gentile entering beyond this wall will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. Uh, meaning this, they were really bad <laughs> at a, a secret service type church. Um, they weren't very welcoming um, to having outsiders come in, and they weren't shy about how they felt about it. So this wall separated in the Jewish mind the good from the bad, the clean from the unclean, the safe from the unsafe. Um, if we would stop here and just be open and honest, um, and acknowledge that we may be politically correct enough that we don't have a sign any longer hanging uh, that talks about our walls that separate us. But if we're honest with one another, we've got walls in our mind that separate us um, from the right kind of people to the wrong kind of people, from the good and the bad and the safe and the, and the unsafe. Um, 
So I think God wants to do a little bit with us on that this morning. Um, so what is your what is your thing that is separating you from others in this world? Uh, is it the obvious thing? Is it racial? Black, white, Hispanic, Asian? Uh, do you see people who are different than you and automatically have ill thoughts for them? Uh, do you automatically only click and connect with people who are just like you? Uh, who look like you, who talk like you, who like what you like? Um, if so, that's, that's probably a big warning sign that we're not living out the gospel in unity uh, the way it's supposed to be. Um, but it doesn't just have to be race. Uh, what about education levels? Maybe you only feel comfortable about those who are just like you uh, in their education level. Maybe you don't like people who are educated because you think they're untrustworthy. Uh, you know, maybe you think they got too good going for them. Um, maybe you could have a wall separating uh, maybe from being successful and unsuccessful. Um, maybe a wall of the good-looking people and the popular people. Uh, nerds or, or non-nerds. Political laws. Maybe your political philosophy is better than somebody else's and that separates you. Uh, maybe from good families to messed up families. If we be quite honest with the time period we're in right now, what we're seeing is a division now that's uh, being forced by vaccinated and unvaccinated. Uh, let's just be honest. Uh, we look at people differently by the way they've chosen to deal with this virus. Um, and that we've allowed that to become another form of division in the church, another form of division amongst people. And uh, Christ says, I come to even break down that and bring forth a unity. Uh, so whatever it is, whatever your division processes are, uh, Christ says, I come to unify those things. So uh, who is it that you feel a natural kinship or bond with? Who is it that you feel safe with? Who is it that you click with? Uh, who's the outsiders or the foreigner that's unlike you, unsafe, maybe political enemies, um, and whatnot that's going on? You need to ask yourself, now, what is it that makes those people click with you? Uh, what is it that makes you say that these are my people, these are my tribe? Um, you know, and I and I think we need to we need to answer that. We need to be honest with ourselves about maybe what needs to change with that as well. And I think as Paul gets to this very beginning of this letter, we said last week that we were waiting on the application. Well, Paul's first thing of application after we understand the theological stance and the uh, forgiveness of our sins and how we were dead in sin and made alive in Christ, his very first thing that is hands-on in application is being unified. Um, it's. It's the example that we set to the world. It's the love that we have for one another. Um, and again, there's nothing wrong with these natural attractions uh, that we have that do separate us. But when they end up erecting walls and putting divisions in the church, it's a huge red flag that needs to be addressed and needs to be dealt with. Um, Christ tore down all those dividing walls. And, and Paul said, in Christ, there's only one category of people. Sinners. And when we came to God, we were all on the outside. We were, as we've looked at for a chapter and a half now, we were no good. We were bad people. Uh, we weren't really winners or losers. We were uh, people who have it together or not together, or dysfunctional or not dysfunctional. The scripture says this. The scripture says that there are only bad, dead, sin-sick rebels. Uh, children of Satan, sons and daughters of disobedience, without God, without hope in the world. Um, so, you know, if all those things you you hear and your mind is boggling, like, wow, I can't believe that's me. Uh, that's what Paul has said for a chapter and a half of who we are. 
without Christ. Uh, that is what we are. But then he says the blood of Jesus uh, makes us this new creation. It makes us the church, this new race. Uh, and Jesus' blood, Paul says in verse 14, says that it has cleansed us all alike. Um, it tore down the wall. So like I said a minute ago, what I think was so great about this wall is uh, looking back in time and history, this wall was actually still standing when Paul wrote these words to the church of Ephesus. There was still a 10-foot wall in the temple that had been constructed at the, what they thought was the commanding God at the time. Um, and Paul is saying, look, that wall no longer exists. So before God, that wall was gone. Even if it remained physically before God, all of our uh, distinctions are gone too, even if they exist in society. Verse 15, Paul says that Jesus' resurrection created a holy race of humanity. Uh, and that very person who belongs to him now shares in his flesh. Verse 15, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. Uh, so, so those couldn't bring salvation or resurrection to the same. So that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. Christ was not raised, Paul said, as a Jew or a Gentile. He was raised as a completely new man so that he could create a holy race of people. And this creation is, is this one new kind of man, and it results in peace, because it is his death and resurrection that's been and removed anything that would have made us feel superior to other people. Uh, if you're a true follower of Christ, and if you're a true believer, you understand like there is nothing about you that makes you superior to somebody else. Um, and there's nothing about you also that has made you relatively insignificant um, that distinguishes you from others as well. So in Jesus, there is one kind of sinner dead, and there's one kind of believer made alive in Christ. And Christ has fully adopted us into God's family so that we can be partakers of God's glorious inheritance is what he writes about. So if you skip down to verse 18 in the book of Ephesians 2, it says, for through him we both have access in this one spirit. That's our inheritance. We have access to God. And then listen to how, how it goes even further. So then you are no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers. You're no longer without hope. Because you are now fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Meaning that we're all a bunch of rocks that have been put together to make this thing, and he's the chief cornerstone that holds us together. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, and in him you are also built together through God's dwelling in the Spirit. So here's what's really cool. We've seen this a couple times uh, in some of the Bible studies that we've done together. We have the whole Trinity involved here. So the whole Trinity is involved in your salvation. The whole Trinity is involved in your, your conversion and your sanctification. And the whole Trinity here is involved in, in the church, in the unifying process. So when it comes to the church, the father is the architect. Abba Father is the architect. He's the builder. Um, his son is the foundation, the, that cornerstone. And then the spirit is the builder. Uh, so we see the whole the whole Trinity involved in this, this process, which should get us excited. Uh, I think any time the, the whole Trinity is involved, it, it should increase our excitement about what's happening um, and, and what's going on. So, uh, a couple actual action items that we should be grabbing from this passage. Uh, and the first one, which I think is super obvious and uh, it's sad that it even needs to be repeated and, and taught on what we do, it's that you should be involved in the church. 
The church, Paul tells us, is what God is building on earth. Um, it's what God is taking his time to, to develop uh, here on, on earth before his kingdom comes and, and takes over uh, this current kingdom that we're all living in. And I would say that if that is what Christ is building, um, it must be super, super important. And if he thinks enough to, to be involved in it, if he thinks enough that the entire Trinity should be involved in building it, how do we think that it's an option for us to not be involved in it? I mean, if Christ himself, if Abba Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if all three of them need to be involved in this, why do we think we don't need to be involved in the church? Why do we think it's optional for us? And, and don't get misled into thinking that all this technology and you being able to, to just zoom in online and check stuff out um, and keep up that way is enough. It's not. God says the power that he's pushing forth comes through the people and the, the relationship that they're doing and the, the things that they're able to do together. Um, you need that, that connection. Um, God has designed us that way. And Paul is seeking out very importantly in this letter to say, like, stop letting things divide you and, and come together as, as one. So each member of the church, Paul says, is a, is a key part of the building. Uh, I love that he calls us precious stones. Uh, walking down my driveway uh, each evening lately, and, and then especially this morning, I, I sat and I looked at all the rocks in the driveway, and I love that Paul calls us a precious stone and not a brick. Because uh, if you think about a brick, all bricks are pretty much the same. They're, they're built the same, they've got the same formation, and, and all that. But a precious stone is where we are all unique. Uh, we are all handcrafted and, and placed in this building by Christ. Um, I even think back to the our study in Kings not very long ago, and as, as they were writing, they they would actually go make these these bricks or these stones. I'm sorry. Uh, they would go make these stones somewhere else so that there was no noise and um, um, distractions in the temple. Uh, and I think that's what Christ has done with some of us sometimes. We've been made and we've been worked on and we've been getting chiseled on and he's been doing some work on us far away so that when we come into the temple together, uh, we fit like we're supposed to. He's calling us for his distinct purpose and plan, uh, whether we understand it or not. And sometimes it just blows our mind how awesome and how neat it is that God connects us as a, as a body of Christ uh, with us. I hear people, you guys, all the time talk about, man, I, I have found home uh, in this body of believers and how good it feels to, to be this. And you are so right. That is the way God has designed it. He has designed us uh, to be unified together, to be one, to, to, to have a feeling of peace and, and unification together when we are one. Um, and we should be striving for that. So, uh, got a little off track. Uh, sorry, but God places his, his gifts into each of us to do his work here on earth. Um, and I, I think this is a concept that should forever change the way we see the church when we look at this. Uh, the place where the Spirit of God has chosen to reside is in the church, uh, in, in the people. Uh, it's how you experience his presence. It's how you experience his power. Uh, he's put, he says in, in Scripture, he's put his gifts in the members uh, of the church. So if you want some of that power, if you want some of that gift, guess what you got to be around? Uh, in other places, Paul uses the analogy of the body, uh, which I love because he calls Jesus the head. Uh, one of my favorite because it's so clear that the head accomplishes its purpose through the members of the body. Uh, for an example, if, if my brain um, receives a message, which the brain, I guess, being the head would be cursed Jesus, 
uh, if it receives a message from my left elbow that it itches, um, it doesn't send down this magic brain juice power uh, to fix it. It instead sends a message to the fingers on my right hand and says, hey, go take care of your brother left elbow and scratch for me. Um, and I love that because that's the way it is for us. So Christ is the head. And whenever there's something that has a, has a problem, uh, God doesn't just always magically solve it. Even though he can, he could, uh, but he chooses not to do it that way. He chooses to use other members of the body to reach out and, and solve uh, Brother Elbow's itch. Um, so I hope you guys are, are in tune with the, the brain, the head of Christ. Uh, and I hope when he does tell us to do fingers to go scratch an itch and to do feet to go walk somewhere, uh, that we are doing so. Uh, and we are pleased and excited to be used by him for that. So, uh, in the same way when we pray, God doesn't uh, zap power straight down from heaven to accomplish his will all the time. He, he moves through members of the of the body to accomplish work. He moves a, a spiritual gifts that he's blessing to us with uh, to accomplish this thing. So that means if you disconnect yourself from the church, uh, you're disconnecting yourself from the power of God. Um, so I don't know if you ever really thought about it that way, but... Um, that's what scripture says. It says that we disconnect from the church. We are disconnected from the power of God because the power of God flows through his body. Um, I hear people ask all the time, how much should I be involved in the church? Uh, and the best answer I can think of is this, to the extent that you want God to work in your life. So ponder that for a minute and think about that. And if you're not that involved in the church, are you telling God that maybe that's not how much work you want to do in your life? I need to be bold enough to say while we're on this topic this morning that you really have no right to ask for the help of God if you intentionally separate yourself from the means of that help. Um, so let that sink in for some of us that have neglected being together, um, neglected uh, being unified, and allowing the crazy things in this world to divide us repeatedly over and over again. Um, if God's help comes through His, his people, so... Uh, think about some of the things that you said. I, I jotted a list down just last night um, on what I've heard people say, and even I myself have, have said to some of God, God, I need your direction in my life. And I think God is saying, well, that wisdom is from the Spirit. That Spirit is housed in the body of the people known as the church. So if you need direction, then, then, then go to the church. Uh, God, I need help in my marriage. Again, go to the church. Uh, what a better place to... To be. Um, Crystal studying law just the other day, she figured out that there's a, a tax credit for premarriage counseling. So, despite what the world seems to think about stuff sometimes, even they acknowledge the fact of, of the church offers some really good stuff, some really vital, important stuff um, before we make these life changing altercations in life. Um, you know, so, so keep that. God, I'm, I'm lonely. God says, Go to church. Go to church. I've got a body of believers. I've got a body of people who are there for you. I've got people you're going to connect with. You're going to discover your, your new best friends. Um, you're going to be connected in a special way. God, I, I don't really understand you. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Go to church. Get involved in Bible studies. Get involved. Sunday school is, is back other than this Sunday. Uh, jump into those classes, man. Study the Word and, and help yourself understand and grow in Christ. Get, get involved on Wednesday nights. Um, you know, check, check out what the Word says. Get, get surrounded by believers and, and see how He's moving in their lives and, and what it means. Uh, and what it means for them and what it can mean for you. Go to church. If you want God to work in your life, you've got to be part of the church. Um, sitting on the sidelines of the church, that's, 
That's not even an option for a believer. Hearing the best sermons in the world, but yet not not getting involved, man, you're missing out on so much, and you're only experiencing a small fraction of what God really wants you to, to be doing. Um, God wants us involved. Uh, maybe the problem we have is too many ninja Christians. Um, ninjas are cool. Don't get me wrong. I think ninjas are great, but a ninja Christian is is bad. Uh, they've been bad church members. And what I mean by that, in case you're wondering, you know, what's a ninja Christian? That's somebody who slips in and out of church every week unnoticed. Sure, they come, but they sit on the back row, and they're gone as soon as the prayer is over, and nobody got to meet them, and they didn't meet anybody else, and they didn't offer anything to anybody, and they didn't receive anything from anybody ever. So, uh, you, you never get to know them. You never, you never get involved in anything. They're, they're just in and out, sneaky ninja Christians. Uh, again, cool, but really bad, <laughs> really bad church members. Uh, here's the second thing we get. Uh, the church should be known for its unity and diversity. Here's, here's where Paul's big thing uh, really gets up. One of the very best ways we can demonstrate the wisdom and the power of God is being known for our unity and our diversity. Uh, and what that means is this, that when the, the world sees us, they don't need to see a, a super large group of, of people sharing one culture, getting together, and that that's not miraculous. That happens every Sunday now at football games, every Friday night at the high school game. It happens at rock concerts. It happens at political rallies. That's not miraculous. What's miraculous is when you get a group of people who have so many things not in common. Who, who have so many differences that should be dividing them, who have so many things that make them look different and talk different and act different, and yet they're unified and they love one another. Yet they don't let those things separate them any farther. They let those things actually be something that, that highly empower them to be able to do more together rather than, than less together. Look back at Ephesians, jumping forward to, to chapter 3, verse 10. But look at what Paul says. In this ministry, says this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom. Do you even understand God's multifaceted wisdom? I don't, and I don't think we can. But but what Paul is saying here is God's multifaceted wisdom may be made known through the church, through the rulers and the authorities in heaven. That, that means like people in heaven that are sitting up and looking, and, and people of rulers and authorities here on earth they look and and they see us, and they're like amazed. By how unified we are despite all our differences. So rather than the church being one of the most segregated, divided places every Sunday, maybe we should start making an effort to make it the most unified in diversity uh, things every Sunday. So when you have a group of people that have little in common but are connected, uh, there's only, as, as, as Paul said in the, in the gospel, he says that that's the power that new man created in the resurrection. Um, do, do we really make the world look around and say, man, how can they love each other the way they do these things? One thing I've loved watching the, the Chosen series, I don't know how many of you guys have watched it, but what I love checking out is, is how diverse the, the group of apostles were. I mean, we knew they were by studying scripture and reading about it, but man, when you watch it, you got, you got Simon the Zealot, a guy who was like, Willing to die and fight for anything because of those beliefs. Like, that's how grounded and rooted it was. And then you got Matthew, a tax collector. Could you imagine these two guys sitting around the same dinner table and the spicy conversations that could have got brought up around the, the campfire and stuff while they're talking? You know, could you imagine later, you know, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman 
uh, being together. Could, could you imagine the, the woman at the well who's caught in adultery, yet she, she joins this group of believers? And, and people would look at these groups and they would have to ponder and wonder, like, what, what is it about these guys that make them love each other so much? And the only thing those outside watching could actually come to terms and say is that the things of Christ, the power of Christ, surely is real. And that is what I hope we're doing, and I hope that's the, the kind of commitment we're willing to make. Is that unity hard? Man, of course it's hard. Is it, is it something that's going to come natural? No, it goes against our very nature. Um, you know, we're not inclined to, to be diverse. We're, we, we, we click to people who are like us. We, we swarm to people who like what, what we like and, and do what we do. And, and Christ says, I come to break the natural. Um, to make it a, a supernatural unification. So, uh, here's what I want to do. Is I think I think part of understanding this is understanding why it's hard. Um, I think we would agree with everything I said this morning. I, I think maybe some of us are thinking I should have went deeper on some of it. And some of us are thinking, you know, whoa, whoa, be careful. You know, what what kind of boundaries you're getting ready to cross here? And, and I don't care because I care more about what God wants to accomplish in and through us than I do about any of our feelings about what is right and wrong by society. Um, so, so the reality is it's hard because here's some of the, the things we got, um, some of our, our problems. And the first one is, is Satan. Satan hates this kind of unity, especially in the church. Uh, Satan does anything he can to get division in the church. Um, you know, I mean, you think about how many church splits we have because of the worship styles and, you know, how many church splits we have because somebody didn't get their way and you know so Satan loves to divide um, because he knows unity is how God gets his glory according to what, what Paul just said so at its core this is a spiritual battle um, and we should always be aware that Satan is doing everything he can and working as much as he can to undo all that Christ has done um, so just be aware of your enemy know who he is know what he wants to do and know his, his purpose of plan and that in itself gives you an advantage over him second thing Kind of gets right in line with us and why it's hard. Pride. We're very prideful people, whether we want to admit it or not, or whether we think we are or not. Uh, racial, political, educational characteristics, they become the, the core of our identity. Um, and they set us apart from others and they make us significant, and that is good. But there's too many times where we feel proud about that and we resist anything that threatens to, to remove that distinction about us. So pride is, is an enemy. Pride is what makes it hard. Pride grows out of defining yourself primarily by the things about you that set you apart from others. Um, that, that is, that's what pushes pride, is, is the primary things that make us different from somebody else. Um, nothing wrong, of course, with being different. That's a good thing. But where pride you know, begins to exist and we don't allow unity, well, there's, there's a problem. So that's why it's hard. Uh, going with pride, also our preferences. Um, you know, a lot of us, we, we want the idea of multicultural church, um, but we are very uncomfortable with things and people who don't do things our way. Um, I would say you should almost feel uncomfortable in church sometimes. Um, you know, you should look around and there's new people who worship different than you and it should make you feel uncomfortable. And that should just let you know, like, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be because I'm different than a lot of people. Um, Tim Hawkins got a, got a great... Uh, comedian stand up skit about worship styles and, and different ways. So check some of those out this week and, and laugh. Uh, half of them's going to describe you, half of them's going to describe your neighbor or somebody you know. And 
Uh, all of them are, are true. Um, so, so preference matters big time. Uh, we let our preferences divide us. Um, and, and I want to say this while we're talking about preferences, because many who want a multicultural church, uh, we really only want a multicolor church. Um, and that's part of it, but that's not the only part of it. Um, so we need, to, we need to understand that as well. So uh, it's an issue in the church. It's an issue that, that Paul was having to deal with in the early church in Ephesus, uh, primarily because look at Paul's letters and what he talks about. How many times does Paul's letters talk about food? Uh, food is not a um, unified church thing. Evidently, in the early church, just like today, they would get together and have their, their meals. Uh, some of them would have their kosher meal and be happy. Uh, but then you got Gentiles showing up because remember, Jesus said, Whosoever will come. Um, so now these Gentiles come and they, they come to the potluck and they're bringing different kind of dishes than a lot of the Jews were used to. Um, you, know, you can almost hear somebody saying, Who in the world brought? Squirrel soup uh, to the potluck. That wasn't, wasn't supposed to be there. So, um, you know, that would have been one of the things for them. Uh, possibly one of the things for some of us. Maybe not our biggest thing. Um, maybe when the Bible talks about food, we could sub in music nowadays, it seems. Um, it seems to be one of our biggest struggles with division. Um, so, if you want a diverse sanctuary, you want a diverse church, you need to have a diverse dinner table. And what I mean by that is this. If you want a diverse church, there's going to be things around your dinner table that don't actually go with some of your favorite customs. Um, and that's okay. That's a good thing. Uh, we need to get used to, to some of the differences that that's out there for us. Um, another big one is apathy. Um, man, I, I know you hate to hear it, but part of our problem with, with keeping the church unified rather than divided is that we just have this apathetic attitude for it. We just, we don't care. That's the way it's always been, and, and we're okay with it, and that's wrong. Um, if we're not willing to do more than just post about it on Facebook, um, <laughs> then we're failing as, as, as it's supposed to be stewards of the gospel. Um, that so, uh, another one, uh, which kind of goes with apathy, is that lack of empathy. Um, Paul tells us that we should bear one of those burdens. Look at, look at Scripture, how often we're told to, to bear with one another in their feelings. Um, maybe some of us today, uh, myself included, maybe we, we need to look at some of our brothers and sisters from other areas and other worlds and, and other uh, types of lifestyles and we need to say, man, help me understand how that feels uh, or why do you think that way? Um, rather than being so quick to tell them they're wrong, why don't we, we try to relate and understand the emotions they're feeling? Uh, James is big on this. James writes and uh, in, in his letter, he says, we ought to be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. If there was ever a place for us to apply this verse, it's in this area right here with a lack of empathy for, for others. Yes, there's a place for you to speak. Uh, he said be slow to speak. He didn't say don't speak. He said be slow to speak. Uh, so it doesn't mean you never speak. It just means that you listen. You listen far more than you talk. You listen far more than you explain. Um, you seek to understand more than you seek to be understood. Uh, probably a good one for, for a lot of us to apply. Uh, to listen to someone is to love. It's hard for me to love when I'm so busy trying to defend myself is what Albert Tate said. Uh, I think that's a great quote. Let me reread that. So Albert Tate, it's hard for me to love when I'm so busy trying to defend myself. What is it that you've been trying to defend about yourself that you've been allowing to become a wall, a block, a division? 
from loving neighbors. We don't want to be in a church that focuses so much on, this seems weird to say, but, but understand, like God doesn't want us to be so focused on, on just going this way that we neglect the pain of this way. Uh, what I mean by that is that we're, we're so focused on our relationship this way becomes one-sided that we don't allow it to reflect, affect our relationships uh, horizontally going out. Um, that's vital. It's important. It's part of the gospel. It's, it's what this whole thing is, is written about. God's not just concerned. He is concerned, but He's not just concerned about our relationship with Him. He wants our relationship with Him to then affect our relationship with everybody else and others. Um, and if we're not allowing that relationship that goes vertical to affect everything horizontal, we, we've missed the mark. Um, we need to reevaluate and do something. So, uh, another, another problem, another, another reason unity is hard uh, forgiveness. Paul will tell us later in Ephesians chapter 4 that failure to bestow forgiveness is one of Satan's main ways of gaining a foothold in any relationship. Um, and that's so true. God be himself, uh, he wrote reflecting on Jesus' teaching. So yeah, imagine, imagine that. Somebody as inspirational and as powerful as Gandhi studied Christ and he studied Christ's teaching. And, and here's what he said on Christ's teaching. He said that if we insist on justice only being an eye for an eye, eventually the whole world will be blind. Someone has got to break the chain, guys. If we continue on that old law of eye for an eye, eventually the whole world will be blind, is what he says. And I think he's right. Someone's got to break the chain. Um, and let me tell you a lie about forgiveness that so many people believe nowadays. Um, and, I, and I think Satan uses it to keep us in his clutch. And the lie is this. I can't forgive you until I know that you know how much you hurt me. Um, that, that just doesn't make any sense, man. Think of it in marriage. A wife hurts her husband, she repents, she asks for forgiveness, but he still doesn't think that, that she's understood the extent of his pain. Now, there's, there's two sides of this. Maybe she hasn't. And maybe she needs, uh, or he, he needs to help her see that, and she in love needs to patiently work in understanding uh, him better and his emotions. But this is the key. If he makes his forgiveness of her, conditional of her understanding, Everything about his pain. A, he'll be holding himself up captive to a standard that she's never going to meet. And B, what he's saying is, I can't forgive you until you felt that enough. Because that's the only way you'll pay for your sin. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is extending grace even when someone doesn't deserve it. It's not making them earn it and making them uh, feel like they should they should have it. Making you feel like they, they've earned it. Um, you know, write this down. And, and, and this is a good transition that we've got these, these hard things on why unity is so hard. The gospel shows us that we are not ultimately defined by our culture. Why as a church do we keep letting the culture define us rather than us define ourselves through Christ? Christ said, I came so that I can define you. Trusting in Jesus does not remove our, our culture distinctiveness. It, it just shows us that we are not ultimately defined by our culture. We are defined first by who we are in Christ. So if you look at yourself in the mirror and, and you think of yourself daily and, and, and come to, to issues in life and you're not first question, questioning and figuring out who you are in Christ, there's a problem, guys. I had to really do some, some commit. Like before I thought anything about this virus and vaccine and, and all this other stuff, I had made up my own answers. I had made up my own feelings. I had my own ideas about it. And, and I was running wild with them in my head. I never stopped in the beginning to pray about it. The very first thing we as believers, as a, as a, as a, 
as a member of the kingdom, as a member of his family, as a member of the new race, the church, the very first thing we should be doing is praying. We should be asking the Father, Father, what, what is it that you think about this? Not what do I think. Not what do my friends think. Not what is Facebook got me thinking. Not what does the stats at the hospital got me thinking. But what does Father Abba think about it? Because I want to think what he thinks. You know, our, our, our response shouldn't be like doing what comes natural and, and doing what sounds good because somebody else talked us into it. We, we should be seeking out what does God want. Does God want me to take a vaccine? Does God not want me to take a vaccine? Does God want me to, to wear a mask? Does God not want me to wear a mask? We should be praying about every decision we make as believers. And instead, we're letting our emotions and we're letting people lead us rather than we're letting Christ lead us. God created the rich beauties of culture, and there's some good stuff in it. But God, and God is not on mission to erase culture or anything like that. It's just that God gives you an identity that goes beyond and much deeper than culture itself does. Paul himself said, talk about something that, that, that sounds really weird. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that'd probably be a really long time before we ever make it to, to that letter as, as we move through scripture. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, To the Jew I became the Jew, and to those outside the law, talking about Gentiles, I became like them. Now, you've got to look back and think about that. To the Jew, I became a Jew. How does Paul become a Jew? He's already a Jew. Because Paul's Judas was so light that he could be taken on and off like a garment. What, what Paul is saying is like he, is cha he changed so much of who he was identified as. He wasn't identified as a, as a Jew or Gentile anymore. He was, a, he was identified as a, as a child of God. He was identified as, as, a, as a new race, a, a, a new creature, a new creation. Uh, in Christ Jesus. And he's saying, like, I, I could put back on some of my Judas when I was around the Jews. And I could take it off when I was around the, the Gentiles. Because my, my new race was in Christ and not in who I was or who I used to be. There's another way to say that. The gospel gives us something that unites us greater than stuff that divides us. Let me say that again. The gospel gives us something that unites us greater than anything that can divide. Please understand that, church. The gospel is so much greater than united in the body. Do you ever feel the irony when we go to church? Or, or maybe even right now this morning as some of these thoughts are running through your head. Like we go and we stand in church and we worship a Savior who gave up all of his rights while we at the same time insist that everyone else around us worship the, the Savior the way we prefer. So Christ left his, his kingdom in heaven and gave up all of his rights to save us, and yet as we worship Him, we have the audacity to think that all those around us should be worshiping Him the exact same way that we worship Him. Is there any greater hypocrisy than that? I mean, really? You really think you've got a lockdown on how everyone else has to worship God, everyone else has to live this new life, rather than letting Christ be the leader of that. When Paul went to plant churches in new cities, you know, here at this time, by the way, let me put this out. This is probably something I said at the beginning. Here at this point, Paul is in prison. We said that for the beginning of our, our intro to, to Ephesians. But he's in prison for trying to get the Gentiles into that certain section of the temple they weren't allowed to be in. Um, a lot of writing allows us to, to understand. Like he, He's in prison for reaching out to Gentiles and doing what, at this time, the church didn't think he should be doing. So, so Paul goes and he plants these new churches in new cities. 
what I want to point out is that he, he didn't plant a church for the Jews on the north side and one for the Gentiles on the south side. Instead, he planted one church in the middle and he taught them about a vertical relationship with God and how that should lead to a horizontal relationship with other people. So again, Paul's not pushing division anymore. He's, he's, he's pushing unity. He's pulling people together. He's saying, man, let's just, let's just get a church with all kind of people in it that makes the world look and wonder, how in the world can all those people get together and get along and love one another? So it's because we're united by the Father. Don't walk away from this morning. Don't get up from your computer. Don't get up and leave your house today agreeing with everything that, that we've talked about, but not letting it change your life. You need a relationship with someone who is radically different than you. You need some uncomfortableness in your life. And I think we all start pursuing a gospel-centered community. A unified group. We ought to be doing everything we can to bring in everybody who's different than us into this church. And I don't know if everybody watching is a member of Brookhaven or a member of somewhere else or even if you even live around here. But I'm telling you right now, I want us to make an effort to start making church a group of unified, diverse people. Somebody had a picture this week that had a guy and he had earrings everywhere and tattoos everywhere and possibly one of the roughest looking dudes I'd ever seen. And so it was on your Facebook and, and you said, what would, you, what would be the first thing you asked if your daughter brought him home? And I read some of your comments. Some of your comments was like, oh, we wouldn't do any talking. Some of your comments said, you know, my daughter would bring that home. Honestly, guys, the first thing that came to my heart was because of checking out this chapter this week and, and understanding what we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be. My first question was, does he love Jesus? Does he love Jesus? You know, we talk so often about what if, what if your daughter brought home somebody who looks a little different or acts a little different or talks a little different? Well, what if she did? Now, she's got to be 35 for that to take place. But at 35, what if she did? Shouldn't my first question be, do they love Jesus? Are they sold out for the gospel? Are they going to be somebody who's going to treat my daughter the way Christ says she deserves to be treated? Because that's what matters most. The point is that we want to know and we want to love each other and we want to show the world that the greatness of Christ far exceeds any of our cultural differences or preferences. We want to live multicultural lives, not multicultural events. So please understand, when I talk about Brookhaven, especially making it a point to make this body like that, I don't just mean on Sunday morning. I don't just mean it being one event, one or two times a week, or once a year, whatever. I'm talking about this being multicultural lives. This should be a lifestyle that you and I are living as believers, unifying the gospel. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for being able to still connect via video, Lord God, and, and Facebook, and those that catch up later on the audio, Lord. And God, I just pray that you take this writing in this letter. Father, I pray that you take the, the words of Paul and you apply them to us, Lord. Lord, if there's areas of our lives we need to change because we've been putting up walls of division for too long. Lord God, make us feel guilty. God, I pray you, you put a condemning spirit on us, Lord God. 
Because, Lord God, if we don't start breaking down the walls, Lord God, who's going to? And, Lord, I pray that the, the way we come, unified together as a body, Lord God, not divided by anything, but unified by you. Lord, I pray that the world that is watching, they see it, Lord God. And they see that that's the answer to so many of these problems outside. God, help us to be strong enough to see where Satan continues to try to divide us with different ways and different things and different ideas. And help us, Lord God, just to love. To first love you, Lord God, and a love for you that then affects the way we love everyone else in this world. God, I don't think it's an accident that Paul started the beginning of this letter, Lord God, with understanding your love for us, Lord God, and then the very next thing he goes into, Lord God, is our love for other people and how that should be unifying us together. Lord, help today not just be a discussion, Lord God, in the Bible study, Lord God. Help today be something that empowers us to change, to become who it is that you called us to be. In your great and holy name, amen.